0: On a few occasions, um, I've had the heart-wrenching um, role of walking with folks who are suffering with cancer, and on a couple occasions, walking with them through the grueling procedure that is known as a bone marrow replacement or transplant that happens um, When cancer gets into the bone, or it's just an extreme measure to get rid of the cancer in someone's life, a lot of times it can be a last resort. But it's an extreme measure that begins with chemotherapy and radiation that literally kills the the, the very uh, deepest part of you inside of your bones. It's meant to kill the bad cells that lead to cancer and replace them with Good new cells that replenish the marrow in the bones. And and it's a procedure that in a lot of ways kills you to keep you alive. It's grueling and it's hard. And this transformation deep inside of the body often happens in people who have suffered for some time with cancer. Their body has been destroyed in so many ways. They are scarred, changed. For the worse, physically, in many ways. And then, after this treatment, they have to allow their body to restore itself, to renew itself. And they have to learn how to, to, to be healthy and live inside of this body that is, in some way, being made new from the inside out. And it's not a fun process, it's a very difficult process, it's hard, it's painful. In a lot of ways, that is what has happened to us when we have believed the gospel. We have experienced a spiritual radiation that in many ways has killed the deepest part of us that is causing us the most pain and difficulty When you believe the gospel, you come to understand that God is holy and that God is righteous and that you are sinful and that you have rebelled against his law and that is meant to kill you. That is meant for you to understand that you, who you are, deserves sin and deserves death and you are to turn from that person to literally crucify who you once were so you can be made new. And then by faith, when you are united to Christ, when you believe in His death for you, you believe His crucifixion is your crucifixion, and you are united to Him by faith. You believe His life, His perfect life is your life. By faith, you are united to Him. God literally, by His Spirit, makes you new inside. In your heart, He gives you a new heart. And what once supplied the lifeblood of your sin is gutted out, is destroyed, and is replaced, transplanted with a new heart. The reality that we experience right now, if this is you, if you're a Christian here today and you have a new heart in Christ, the reality is you still live in the same body. You still live as the same person who experienced a life of sin, who once had desires to dishonor God and do whatever you want. You still live as that person, although the inside of you has been made new by Christ. And this is what the Christian life centers on for us. is trying to figure out How being made new on the deepest part of who we are affects who we once were. What it means to be made new from the inside out. And it's a very painful process. Because when you have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you, making you new, it is very difficult to live with the person you once were. The practices that you once engaged in. But in this process, God has literally crucified us so that we might live. And we begin today talking about this process of sanctification. When you believed in the gospel, you were justified in Christ. You were declared righteous in Him by faith. It, was as, it is as though you never sinned and you always obeyed. You are in Him. You are immersed in Him, united in Him. We've talked about that over and over in Colossians. And now we're going to begin to talk about sanctification. What it means for those who are justified in Christ to be set apart in this life, here and now, set apart to Christ. Living in Christ, and it's so important. When we talked about this heresy in Colossae, why is this important? Because so many in Colossae were trying to live out a spiritual experience, as we've talked about through dreams and through visions and rituals and and and. Old Testament religion that they tacked on to Christ. And what Paul says here is, no, this isn't transforming in your life. What is transforming in your life is the supremacy of Christ. And last week we talked about remembering our position in Christ. If you are in him, who you once were is old. Your old man has been buried dead, left in the tomb And who you are now in Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Remember your position. If you're going to live out the gospel, if you're going to live for Christ, if you're going to be holy in this world, you have to remember that's who you are in Christ right now. Remember your position. And today we're going to talk about what it means to practice your position. We remember who we are in Christ and then we begin to live that out. And we do so... First of all, by putting off sin. So we're going to talk about today, next week we will talk about putting on Christ or putting on our new life. But today we talk about practicing our position in Christ by putting off sin. How do we do that? Beginning in verse 4, first of all, we let our sin die. We let our sinful desires die. Notice verse 5. In light of who you are in Christ, Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now, this phrase, put to death, it means to slay. It means to kill. It means to utterly destroy. It means to mortify. Because you are new in Christ, you are to allow the old in you to die. And not only that, you are to work to kill it. So that it never comes back alive again. Your old self. The desires you used to have. You are to intentionally, because now you are in Christ, allow those things to die and work to kill them. Notice he says, therefore what is earthly? This is contrasted with our union in Christ. We believe in Christ. We're immersed into Christ. We're united in Christ. He's seated at the right hand. All he is is who we are before God now. And yet, we still live here on earth. And he says, put to death what is earthly. This would refer to the pulls of your heart to here and now, those desires that are for the here and now. While you are seated with Christ in heaven, and as we talked about last week, we are waiting for his return, there are still desires that we have here and now. Our old self, what our old self used to desire. Earthly desires. And he says, kill those desires. But a better way to translate this phrase, what is earthly in you, is what is in your members. What is in your members. The desires of your body is what he refers to here when he refers to the members of your body. Very specifically, what your body would desire. We think about the natural instincts of the body. We're to desire food, drink, pleasure. There are things that we are to desire in this world that are not bad. In and of themselves, they are good. But because we live in a fallen world and because we are sinners, we train those desires to serve ourselves. Those are those earthly desires, even inside our body, that we are to seek to destroy and kill and do away with and let die. And he explains some of these desires here, makes a list here. Now, this is just a general list. We'll we'll read later. Paul elsewhere gives these kind of lists all the time. And this list is just to characterize the desires of our heart, those sort of natural instincts that have been trained by sin to serve ourselves. Notice the list, sexual immorality. This refers to any and every kind of sexual sin. Impurity. This is moral filth inside of us that we desire. Uncleanness. And then he says passion. And this is just a strong word for an emotional response to sin or to want to sin. Lust for sin. And he says evil desire. That, That just describes sin as being the appetite of who we were. We we wanted sin. We wanted wickedness before God changed our heart. And covetousness. I'm only going to say that word once because it's really hard for me to say. But it refers to greed. And not just greed for money. Here he's saying greed for sin. Before Christ, you longed for these things. You lusted after these things. You had a desire for these things impurity filth passion for sin this is who you were and you were greedy for it you wanted more and more of it and it could not satisfy you and notice he says which is idolatry here when he says which is idolatry he's just summing up what it means to serve yourself with sin again those natural instincts of the body for food drink sex pleasure in and of themselves they're not good I mean, they're not bad, they're good. But what we do with our sin is we make them all about me. Food turns to gluttony, drink turns to abusing alcohol, sex turns to immorality, pleasure turns to greed and idolatry because we make those things about ourselves when God created us with those desires to give Him glory. And to enjoy His world, to enjoy His food, to enjoy His drink, to enjoy sex inside the covenant of marriage, to enjoy those things for His glory and for the good of the gospel. He's given us those desires, but we make them about ourselves, and then we can't serve ourselves enough. Now, the reality is, when you believe the gospel, the heart That supplied the lifeblood of the desires for those things was taken out and replaced. That's what it means to be born again. This is what the prophet Ezekiel talked about when God was going to take our heart of stone out and give us a heart of flesh that loves Him and that knows Him. When you believe the gospel, that is what God has done inside of you. He has replaced the deepest part of who you were that longed for those things. And so you may be saying, then why do I still, to some degree, still want those things? And still struggle with the desires for those things. In many ways, it's like someone who has had a limb amputated. If you ever talk to them, they everything within them feels the nerves and everything in their body, their mind still feels as though at first that limb is still there. And they'll react to things and go to move an arm that is no longer there. In many ways, that is what it is like to have a new heart with new desires. You still feel those old desires. And there are times in your life where your natural reaction is to reach to that pleasure for gratification. That, that is what my life used to be about. And so if I want to be satisfied, if I want to be fulfilled, I reach to that sinful pleasure as if it is still there. And we are being trained to know the death that is involved with that and to live new. And so, first of all, Paul says, let that die. Let that sin that has been cut from your life, those desires replaced with a new heart, let those things die. Don't reach for those things anymore. Because the old man used to feed those desires to satisfy himself. The old man used to think that is what will bring fulfillment and would give in to those things. But the new heart and the new man, the new person that you are, starves those desires and lets them die and wither away. This is what Jesus called us to do when he said, if your right eye causes you to sin tear it out, and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Now, did He really, really want us to mutilate our body? No. He wanted us to do everything that we can possibly do to not sin and not give in to those sinful desires. In Jesus' words, first of all, call us to an intensity When it is to purge sin for our life, sin is not good for you. Sin kills you. Sin destroys your life. And you can't play nice with it. You got to do everything within you to get rid of those desires, to cut them from your life. And the picture Jesus paints for us here when he says, Pull out your eyes, cut off your hand, what he's saying here is, Don't give that old man life again. Don't give him hands. Don't give him eyes. Let those desires, those reactions, those instincts that were sinful, let them fade away. Let them die. Let them go away. Don't walk over and pick the amputated arm up and shake it and try to give it life again. Don't do that. Let it die. Let it go away. Get it away from yourself. Don't give the old man eyes, hands, or anything else to sin with. And this causes us, put to death. Look at that word, put to death. That is violent. Allow it to die. That is a militant command to get rid of sin in your life. To turn away from it. And so today I want you to think, what is causing you to sin? What are the sinful desires in your life that you need today to wage war on? Those, that leftover desire from who you once were that you need to kill, that you need to let wither and die. What are they in your life? For some of us, we have to muzzle that mouth that is speaking And telling us, you need the pleasure right now. For some of you here today, you remember fondly your days of sin. And it's hard for you not to think that life was better then. And and that voice, you have to muzzle it. Stop it. Shut up. Because you know the filth and the destruction that that sin caused you you have to stop. No, I have to let that die. We have to poke out the eyes and plug the ears that glamorize sex outside of marriage in our culture. Lifestyles that wreak havoc. So often, I'm just blown away by this as a pastor today. Because I'll talk to people and they talk about trauma and they talk about sexual abuse and they talk about all these things that go on in their life that are heart-wrenching and and destructive. And and then the very things that we glamorize in our culture are the very things that destroy our lives. It's mind-blowing. The lyrics, the people that we worship on stage... You know why that happens so often It's because we fantasized about being them and this lifestyle that they don't even live. And we're entertained by it. And for some of us, those are the very things, the things that we see with our eyes and we hear and we repeat with our mouth that are destroying our own lives. This isn't this isn't some sort of legalism It's like, well, we're going back the good old day, the independent baptist whatever days long pants short tight no no we still have to be holy and this isn't legalism this is good that god would say get rid of those things and let those desires die in your life because they kill you the streaming apps the scrolling pictures that just to be honest with you soft porn on your phone Get rid of those things. Destroy those things. Delete, unfollow, lose the passwords. The snake in your hand, get rid of it. Put to death. You can see I'm fired up about this. The Amazon account that just simply leads to greed and therapy. Shopping. The Facebook account, discontentment, newsfeed, fear and hate. Instagram account, narcissism. Leaves you discontent and worried all the time. Enough with the phone, maybe. Maybe it's just a job. Maybe it's a career that you're pursuing. Right now, you're working so hard. It has become an idol to serve yourself, and it has become an idol full of greed, and it is causing you to ignore your family, ignore your friends, ignore the, the mission of the church. Maybe it's a job that you need to cut off from your life because of the desires it's feeding in your heart. Maybe it's recreation. That that is feeding your image and the way that you look and the things that your family does. You have to cut that from your life because it's feeding the idolatry in your life. And it is causing you to serve yourself and to serve yourself only. Paul says, let those desires die because you are now Christ and you serve Christ. How do we do this? Next, he says, remember the consequences for sin. So we are to let sin die. We're to do whatever it takes to get rid of it, to cut it off, to get it away from our life. And we're to do this by remembering the consequences of sin. Why would you, get, why would you care? If you're in Christ, you have fire insurance, you're going to heaven. Why would you care about sin in your life? He says, verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. <laughs> and what, he, what he's saying there is those desires that you gave into and you habitually gave into... Those are the things God's going to judge forever. Idolatry, He's going to judge forever. That serves yourself in all these ways. He's going to judge forever. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And on account of these things, the wrath of God was abiding on you at one time. You're an enemy of God because you did those things. Why would you want to continue to do those things? On account of these, the judgment of God is coming. But then He clarifies. In these, you too once walked... And so this isn't just what the world does. This isn't just what everybody else out there does. You once too lived according to your own desires. Notice the the words here. In these you once walked. That refers to the habits of your life. The way you lived. Then he clarifies even more. When you were living in them. These are the patterns that you lived in. And, And so if you want to know what characterizes someone who's going to hell is someone who continually lives for themselves, Someone who continually does whatever they want to do. Has no regard for God. Has no regard for others. Is just serving these sinful desires. And he says, that was the pattern of your life. And so for the one who says, I can still just give in to these things all the time, if that is the pattern of your life, what Paul would say is, maybe you haven't been changed on the inside. Maybe that transformation hasn't happened. Because he says here, you once walked this way. This was the pattern of your life. And this is what we again, we we see here, Paul is pointing to the fact that when you believe the gospel, you are a new creation. You have a new heart and you're going to feel the guilt of sin in your life. That's an indication that you have a new heart and you're going to want to turn from those things. And walk away from them. those things doesn't mean you're going to not, not going to fall. You're not going to stumble. But you're not going to walk headlong into those things anymore. You're going to hate those things. You're going to hate those patterns in your life. And he says the danger is to just walk in them casually, not thinking about the destruction they brought on your life and the destruction they will bring in your life is proof you don't have a new heart. You see, the consequence of sin is death. When you sin, you separate yourself from God. And to continually walk in separation from God, from God is to separate yourself from God forever. And so you have to ask your question, what are the patterns of your life? Has there been transformation in your life? Have patterns and practices and exercises in your life changed when you followed Christ? At first, they may seem small and insignificant, but what are the patterns in your life? We're to remember the consequences. I'm just going to read some passages of Scripture off to you here. In Revelation 22:15, 15, we read outside of heaven. Those who are sent outside of heaven will be the sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, everyone who practices and loves falsehood. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, sexually immoral. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5, 19-21, Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and these things like them... Those who do them will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians 5, 3 through 5. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness must not be named among you, nor filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Who is sexually immoral and impure and covetous? That is, an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, Paul lists all of those things in several places, To emphasize, when you have believed the gospel, you have been made new. And you will begin to live and practice life differently. And so you can't tolerate this in your life. And if the Spirit of God is there, you won't. And you will fight to let those things die. And so how do you do this? You remember the, the consequences for these patterns, and then you develop new patterns in your life. By the Spirit of God. But first, it's crucial to let sin die by not walking in those same patterns. You have a new heart, but so often you're still used to practicing those things. It's like muscle memory. Folks who've played an instrument, someone who knows how to play a guitar very well, you hand them a guitar and their hands just go to the right place. And then their fingers just start moving. They know how to play songs. Fa- they just know how to do that. They sit down at a piano and their, their fingers go to the right place. And they just know how to do that. It's muscle memory. It's something that they've practiced over and over and over again. And they know it, it is sort of the melody of their, uh, of their body when they sit down in front of these instruments to play them. You think about an athlete, someone who's practiced their swing for many, many years, and they step in the batter's box and they just still have the same mannerisms and they still have the same reactions when the ball is pitched. Or someone who swam. They dive in the pool, they dive in the pool in this beautiful way over and over again, because that's what they did over and over and over again. You were really, really good at sin. And you practice sin so well that when you are put in certain situations, it's just going to be natural for you to pick up that sin and do it again. It's the pattern of your life. It's how you used to live. The Christian wants to fight against those patterns because, you know, if you haven't played the instrument in a while, many, many years. It's kind of awkward and you have to try to figure it out. If you hadn't hit a baseball in many, many years, it's not easy just to step in the box and do it again. It's not easy to pick those things up and do them again once you've let them die. And he says, that's what you're supposed to do with your sin and these behaviors is you let them die. You get out of those patterns. So it's not natural for you to pick them up again. And so what are the patterns in your life that are keeping sin alive in your life? Those patterns and those situations that you get in. And it's just natural for you to pick the sin up. It's just natural for you to engage in it. Romans 13 verse 14, Paul says, Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Which means you don't put yourself in any context where you are going to practice and exercise that sin again. You're going to let it go and you're going to let it die till it's unnatural for you to practice it. But you answer the question today. Where are those places? What are those patterns that cause you to sin naturally? Where is it that you go that causes you to sin? When is it that you sin? Who do you sin with? What are those natural patterns? The bar, the club, the beach, the gym, the frat house? Places you want to go where sin was so enticing and so fun, and addiction and lust just breathed. Where is it? Don't go there. (laughs) That's the point. Wherever that is for you, don't do it. Why? Because it's going to be natural for you to pick that back up. You're going to long to do that again. So don't do that the restaurant that calls gluttony the events in your life the fellowship the social aspect that calls pride to well up in you see yourself as the center of the world don't go there don't do that the fellowship that causes gossip don't do don't 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 run in that pattern again get away from it the meetings the friendships the conversations it cause discontent with your spouse and your kids and your family. The schedule. The schedule that leaves you alone. And you know when I'm there alone, I'm going to worry. The pattern in your life that leaves you with no breaks on your passion. You know how to not give in to that? Get out of that pattern and stay away from there. Make no provision for that sin. The issue is if you've been transformed from the inside, you're going to want to let that sin die. You let that sin die by removing those patterns from your life. Then he gets even more pointed in verse 8. We let the sin die by first removing the patterns. As the sin is dying, we totally remove the sin from our life. We get rid of it all together. As that sin loses energy and life and begins to wither and die as we let go of those patterns, we become more and more committed. I will never do that again. And we put that sin totally away. Notice he says, but now you must put them all away. Now in this section, it's really hard to communicate and translate because everything he commands is so concrete. It's not like some of the time. He doesn't give us any wiggle room. He says, you are new. Don't do this. Don't do it. Stay away from it. And put it away. Put them, notice, all away. No exceptions. That's just my personality. That's just the way that I talk. No. Put it away. Get rid of it. You're new. Live in the life That has been given to you inside out in Christ. Put them all away. That's a decisive action to remove and take away sin from your life. To remove it from your life. To get it away from your life. And it is something that you do. It's a decisive action that the Christian does. Because the Christian wants to do that. I don't want this sin in my life. So I get it away. I don't want anything to do with it. That is the imagery here. And then he describes these sins that we're, again, the list are characterizations of our sin, our desires. This is what is inside of our heart. And here he's going to give you some more to get away from your life. First of all, anger this is just smoldering resentment toward others, wrath this is outburst of rage. You're going to put those things away, get rid of them. Malice this is just a vicious bent to harm others. Just you, you think about those people you just don't like. He says, get it away. Put it off. Don't do that. Slander. It means to defame or destroy someone's reputation. It's closely associated with blasphemy. You take somebody's reputation and you bore holes into it. Just because. He says, get rid of that. Obscene talk. This is the uncontrollable filth that comes out of our mouth before Christ remember Jesus says you'll know what's in your heart by the way that you talk it'll overflow out of your mouth if your heart's been changed you're going to put that obscene talk away you're going to get rid of it and then he says do not lie to one another now lying is could be I thought about this all week the most unloving thing you can do to anyone is to lie to them because you're acting like Satan God created the world The world is about his story. Satan comes into the world and gives another version of the story that is a lie that's untrue. When you do that to others in your life, you are giving them a narrative that is untrue about you and the world around them, that they're to act upon. And you're acting satanic. You're acting demonic. This is what we told our kids when they lied to us. You're acting like a little demon. You're acting satanic. Your father, who is the devil... That is who you're acting like. And it's it's serious. The truth of God is transforming us so we don't do that. Put it away. But I want to go back. These are decisive actions. Stop being angry. Stop raging. Stop hating. Stop slandering. Stop talking that way. Stop lying. That's what he's saying. This is what happens when you just preach verse by verse. You got to say it the way he said it. Why would you do this? Why would you put these things away? Here's why. (laughs) Seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and it put on the new self. This is why you are a new person and you are to engage in this process because you are new. And I would dare say you will engage in it if you are a new person if this change has taken place he says to put off you have put off the old self the image here is it's literally to to discard dirty clothes you've taken that person off you've discarded that person and now he says now put those clothes away where you never see them again you burn them they're destroyed and he says, with its practices, again, the patterns of your life, you kill the desire, you refuse the patterns, and then you totally remove this sin from your life. But you know as well as I do, if you are passive about these things, that ain't going to happen. That's why this is a violent, militant action and sanctification that we take part in. It doesn't just happen unless we are intentional and we are willing to kill our sin and do away with it. He says, because you have put on the new self. In the same way you took off the old self, you put on the new self. New clothes, the new self in Christ. At the end of Ephesians, he talks about putting on the armor of God, which is to put on Christ. You have put on a new person. And I want to emphasize here this is a decisive change. When you believe the gospel, you took who you once were and you took them off and you buried them. They are dead and gone. And from the inside out, you have put on a new person. See, a lot of people describe sanctification this way. When you believe the gospel, the Spirit comes and lives within you. And now it's like you have two dogs fighting inside of you. You have a black dog and a white dog. And, and, and the dog that's going to win is the one that you feed the most. If you feed the black dog of evil, he's going to take over and he's going to dominate your life. If you feed him more, the things that are bad, if you feed the white dog, then you're going to live godly and Christ-like. That's not what Paul describes here. Paul says who you once were has been discarded from your life. And you are totally new beginning on the inside. You're not some saved you're saved. You're not kind of regenerate. You are regenerate. You haven't been somewhat converted. You don't have a portion of the spirit. You have a totally new heart that the spirit lives within you. And that begins to make you new from the inside out, which he describes here, which is being renewed in the knowledge after its creator. At conversion, there has been a decisive change in your life. And you have become a new person. But there's still a process. Finally, we get to the process. Everything is concrete. Take off. Put on. But then we see that this is a part of a process. Which is being ongoing. Constantly, continue, continually renewed. In knowledge after the image of its creator. The, the new person inside of you. The new self lives within you, but it lives in this body that has instincts and desires and patterns for sin that are natural to you. But from the inside out, this new person begins to know who they are and to know who Christ is. The knowledge of Christ, he says here, which is true knowledge of its creator. From the inside out, you have finally been reconciled to your creator at the deepest part of who you are, now you know your Creator, the One who created you through Christ. That Paul says is the One who sustains all things. Now through Christ, you know who you are because you know who Christ is. And the more you get to know Christ, the more you get to know the Father, the Son, through the Spirit of God, he says you are being renewed by the very One who created you. And it happens from the inside out that you are being renewed. Jesus is the image and expression of God. He says, after the image of its creator, Jesus is the exact image and expression of God. And what he is doing in your life is he is making you into the image and expression of him in the world. But it's a process and it takes time from the inside out reading your Bible, praying, walking with Jesus, coming to know who He really is, that begins to transform you more and more. And that new heart begins to beat lifeblood into that body that begins to push and purge the old sin from your life that dies away. I've heard this explained like picking corn. If you've ever been around corn... You understand, you, you go out and you pick the corn, you take the corn in. I used to do this growing up in Tennessee. And, and you just, if you leave the corn setting there, the outside of the corn husk just dies, begins to wither. And when it comes time to shuck corn, what do you do? You take the dead parts off and you begin to peel it away. And in a lot of ways, that's the process of sanctification in our life is we have been made new and we have life on the inside. And what we spend our days doing is as that renewal and that newness and restoration and life is growing on the inside, we are pilling that dead husk away so that we see Christ in us. The hope of glory, Paul says, is inside of us. And the more we let that sin die and we refuse those patterns and we are being made new in the gospel, walking with Jesus, we are peeling that husk of our old life off. So more and more we see Christ's likeness. We described it this way in James. It is as though the Spirit has taken the Word of God and planted it in our heart. The implanted Word that we are to receive. But if you've ever planted grass, you know that the grass has to water Sun, air, room to breathe and grow. The same process is going on in your life. By the Spirit, the gospel has been planted inside you. Christ lives inside of you. But that new you needs to breathe. And yet there is sinful desires that were so implanted in your heart And while those things are dead, you still have to pull out those dead weeds and roots to give the new you life to breathe. That is the process of sanctification, pulling out that old sin and letting it die. You're in the Word of God and you hear how you should live as a Christian, and you begin to let go of those old patterns and practice new patterns, and you are raking away the thatch so that the new you can breathe and grow. That's a process of sanctification in our lives, being renewed. But it involves putting away sin. That is the supernatural work of grace in your life that is taking place on the inside out. But you still have to work to pull that sin away and to do whatever it takes so that that new you breathes and lives. And here's the reality. The more sin you put away, the more like Christ you will look. And the question is, do you want to look like Christ? Do you want to live like Jesus? Jesus is happy. He has joy. Do you want the joy and freedom of living like Christ? Are you content with the dead destruction of sin that is killing you? Because grace grows in your heart as you kill the anger I wonder this week if you will refuse to seethe in anger because you want to be like Christ and grow in grace. Will you put that anger aside this week? I wonder this week if you will want to allow patience to breathe in your heart and so you will refuse to rage. When it's time to rage and you're in that pattern, no, I'm not going there. I'm going to let that die. And then what you begin to see is patience grows in your life. Will you let love flourish because you're going to let hate dry up and die? When it's time for you to hate, it's natural for you to hate. The patterns of hate and condemnation, you let that die. What's going to replace that? By the power of the Spirit, love's going to grow in your life. Will you let kindness bloom as you clip the thorns of gossip and slander? When it's time, that that pattern where it's going to come out, I'm going to say that about that person and you don't? What's going to replace it? Kindness. (laughs) Encouragement. Affirmation. Will you let truth breathe as you suffocate the lies and throw them out? Put them away. I'm going to tell the truth no matter the consequence. I'm going to tell the truth no matter how painful it is. What's going on there? There is a renewal in your heart and truth is beginning to breathe and encompass your life. The grace to do this starts with understanding the cross. I think some of you are thinking, this is hard work. I got all these things I got to work on. Well, don't go there until you hear this. This all begins at the cross where Jesus put on what we are to put to death. Jesus put on your sexual immorality. He put on your impurity. He put on your sinful passion and evil desires. And he put on your greed. He put on your idolatry. And he was punished by God for it. He was punished by God for all of those desires and all of that sin that you acted upon that condemned you to hell. And your anger and your rage and your hate and your slander and your lies crucified Him. That's what happened at the cross. This is where this all begins. Is to understand that the old you sure is dead. He was crucified. Because at the cross, Jesus had to kill you to keep you alive.